We talk so much on the For the Love of Sports podcast about the power of connections and skill sets. So we're teaming up with Acquia Sports Group International to deliver two high-level mentorship programs. The 12-month sports business program will help you craft innovative partnerships and improve selling strategies. And for our newcomers to the sports world, we have a three-month sports business new grad program where you will gain skills to become an integral part of your team. Best news, both programs include monthly video meetups, digital worksheets, exclusive industry interviews, and real case studies. Let's come back from the shutdown even stronger. So head over to aqueous.co.com. That's www.aqueous.co for more information and to get on the wait list. Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Roziel, and my guest today is Jen Hildebrand. She is the Director of Marketing at GF Sports. She's a Division I golfer, which was super cool. She works communications at UConn Penn, Indiana, and was a publicist for the Connecticut Sun and the WNBA for like 13 years or something. Absolutely incredible. Jen has so many funny stories. She is so engaging. We get to learn a lot about marketing. And we get to learn a lot about PR, which is really interesting and kind of how PR works in Connecticut in the WNBA and women's basketball. So that was an absolute blast. Obviously, there's a lot more, and I'll just let her tell you about it. So without further ado, here is Jen Hildebrand. Today, I'm for the love of sports. I have Jen Hildebrand, Director of Marketing at GF Sports, Division One Golfer at Elon, Community uh, Communications and Media at UConn, UPenn, and Indiana in some capacity, publicist of the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA for 13 years, as well as the publicist of the Black Wolves lacrosse team for two and a half years. Jen, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? It's a good day, Jen. It's a good day. It's 70 degrees here in New Jersey. Uh, 75, 75. So let's speed this up so I can go back outside. How's that sound? Sounds perfect. <laughs> it's not good. quite that warm here, but it is sunny. So that's good. Exactly. We're, we're starting to break. I think uh, everything's starting to get a little bit warmer. It was 46, I think, last Saturday. So we'll see what happens, I guess. But moving forward. But Jen, enough about the weather. We wanna, we're here to talk about you. But the first question I have for everybody on For the Love of Sports is, why do you love sports so much? That's a great question. Actually, I grew up in a sports family. Uh, my parents are both huge sports fans. Um, didn't really like they weren't athletes per se. Like my dad played baseball growing up. Um, my grandfather actually played football uh, for a long time and uh, but just loved sports, um, loved watching sports, being around sports. And it was always something that was part of my life. And I knew that I wanted to be involved in it in some manner or fashion. Um, I wanted when I was in sixth grade, my goal was to be the first female GM of a major league baseball team. That obviously did not happen yet, uh, but yes, it didn't that's happen true. Yet. yet didn't happen yet. Um, but that was always like baseball was my first love. Um, I'm actually fun fact. My middle name is Lynn after Fred Lynn, the former Red Sox and angels player. So um that was, you know, always a big part of my life. And so I just wanted to be in sports always. And so up in the Connecticut area, I'm assuming you are a Red Sox fan. 
I am actually a Minnesota Twins fan. Uh, okay. My dad, my dad is from South Dakota, and he grew up. Um, they, when the Twins moved from Washington to Minneapolis in the '60s, he became a huge Twins fan. Um, so that was just kind of my life. Um, obviously, when I was young, the Twins were really good. That those were the Kirby Puckett, Ken Herbeck years, um, and the Red Sox were not good at all. So, um, we were always still fans. My mom's a huge Red Sox fan. Um, we would go to games a lot. It was a lot easier to get tickets then when I was a kid than it is now. Um, but it was always, she would joke, she'd cheer for the twins for every game other than when they played the Red Sox and we would do that vice versa. Um, but grew up a huge twins fan. I remember camping out in our family room during the 91 world series, watching that on TV, um, getting to stay up for that. So, you know, um, definitely do like the Red Sox, but I'm a twins girl at heart. That's a good thing to stay up for, uh, you know, camping out mm-hmm. to watch the world series, especially, I mean, now it's crazy because those games are four hours long and they start at like eight 30, which is, that's a whole nother thing, but I, I'm, I'm really sorry to have to do this to you, Jen, but I have another follow-up question. Okay. When will the twins beat the Yankees in the playoffs? Is it possible? Is it, <laughs> oh is it even gosh. a possibility at this point? Cause it's been what, like 12, 15, hundred in a row at this. I, I'm sorry <laughs> to do this, but no. when you said twins, that's, I had to. <laughs> no, um, you are not wrong. They, the twins cannot beat the Yankees in the playoffs. Um, I was hoping for this year. I thought, you know, this would be the year. Um, the twins are also not spectacular when I get to see them in person. Um, so what we usually, I would always go to at least one Red Sox twins game a year when I lived in Connecticut. That's one of the reasons I was really excited about now living so much closer to New York that we would be able to go to all of those games. Um, but that will happen eventually. And maybe they will beat them. It's, it's not like, it's really depressing. Actually, uh, Steve Russian wrote a great column about it a couple years ago. Um, but it is, it's very much a, as a twins fan, when you see the seedings come out, your heart just sinks. Mm-hmm. You just, it's, it's, uh, I'm here in the New York city area. I'm, I'm a very big Mets fan. So, you know, as you said, uh, you root for the Red Sox as long as they're not playing against the twins. I have two teams I root for all the time as well, the Mets and whoever's playing the Yankees. So it's just one of those things, especially when I see the seedings too, because I just don't want the Yankees to win. Baseball is better when they're good because Eva Empire, you know, mm-hmm. you have all that. So I'm, I'm cool with it to a point. But man, this year, especially 100 wins, a thousand home runs, whatever it is. And just, uh, it, I was like, if, if this is not the gear, I mean, a couple, okay, we don't need to keep doing this. The wild card game too. I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get over this. We're done with that topic. We're done with that topic. Let's talk about golf. Okay. So you're a big golfer. You, you were really, really darn good at golf. Division one golfer. Where where did the love of golf come from? Uh, now that we're kind of done with the baseball topic. Um, totally my dad's fault. So many things in my life are totally my dad's fault. Um, when I was growing up, I played softball growing up. Um, I was not spectacular at it. Um, I rode horses for a few years competitively, but right when I was about 12, my dad was really starting to get into golf and had a bunch of friends that he played with. And he was totally bitten by the golf bug and really, really wanted to do well. And I was just kind of fascinated by what is he finding so interesting about this. And I wanted to learn. Um, So he was my first ever golf coach. Um, and 
he it's it's one of those games that anyone can play and you don't have to be super athletic i am not at my core super athletic i fall walking sometimes um which is why i wasn't great at softball but um you know i just loved the passion that he was going about it with and i really wanted to see where it would go um i didn't expect to be good at it. Like I just wanted to have fun and do something different. Um, it was a good way I played in high school. Uh, I was up until my senior year, I was the only girl on our team. We didn't have a girl's team. We didn't have um, girls in our conference um, up until uh, my senior year. There was another girl who um, came up on our team as a freshman. Um, so that was different. It actually, it definitely, gave me some mental toughness to compete against the guys all the time. Teenage teenagers, teenagers are hard mm -hmm. no matter what. And the worst. they really are. <laughs> um, but cause I, I couldn't like, I I'm five foot two. Like I can't hit the ball as far as a 18 year old guy who's six two. Like I just, I can't do it. And I've, um, so I had to learn different types of skills in my game. Um, and I learned a lot about competitiveness. I learned a lot about myself during that time. Um, and then I ended up going to Elon to play golf. Um, I ended up not playing after my freshman year just because of a bunch of different things. There were things that I wanted to experience as part of college life that as a student athlete, you just couldn't. Um, but I loved the school and I always, again, with my parents, um, I applied to 11 colleges, which is a lot. And most of them were ones that I would have played golf at. And their big thing was you need to look at a school first and then you look at the sport. And that served me incredibly well through my career just because like I could have transferred after I decided not to play. I could have transferred and played somewhere else like that had recruited me, but I loved the school so much that I def I decided to stay and it was an incredible decision on my part. That is awesome. And yeah, I mean, just the opportunity to play, um, to earn the opportunity to play division one sports is incredible. And, and that's a pretty short amount of time too. 12 to, uh, I'm assuming around 17 is when you started to make this decision. I mean, in five years you go from, not playing golf all the way to the opportunity to play division one. Uh, now I'll be honest. I don't know much about division one golf or Elon in particular, but still in the top ranks of, of college. So that's very impressive on its own. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely something that I never expected. Um, it was just, I was always going to be a bonus, you know, another thing for college for me. Um, but it was seeing what goes into athletics at that level is incredible. Um, just all the different things. I mean, now, I mean, they're, the team is much better now than when I was there. Um, they're incredibly successful and in a very good conference um, and the CAA. So it's definitely, they, they, it was only our, I want to say third or fourth years, division one, fully division one mm -hmm. when I got there. Um, but it's definitely just to see. And then I saw it from both sides. I saw it from a student athlete perspective, but then as I got further in my career, I saw it from an athletic department staff perspective and just to be able to have that experience of, okay, I know what that feels like for our student athletes. And I know what 
goes into it. Everyone talks about, you know, the, the time commitment and the balance and all that stuff. It's completely all truth. Like it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's something I, uh, I made it to about division, um, division, uh, junior varsity, uh, my sophomore year of high school, uh, for baseball. So I can't really say too much. And that's why I appreciate people like you for putting in that time, the energy, the effort, but it's, it's given you a lot too, right? You've learned a lot and how to do things. And I think you can take those lessons. Anyone that's played sports competitively, on a team, on an individual type basis, especially with golf, you can take those lessons and move forward with them. And I know golf has also led to a couple of your jobs along the way with, again, your dad falling in love with the sport. Um, So how did, how were you capable of going from, you know, division one golfer, as you said, stop playing the sport, but you still love the university. So you stayed at Elon and, and how did your, why did you leave your dad alone for just the right amount of time? Why did you leave him alone? I I shouldn't have left him alone. Um, So freshman year, my parents uh, came down from uh, Connecticut for parents weekend and they always have the parents weekend golf tournament. Um, The golf teams have their own tournament and then the general school would have one. Um, My dad wanted to play in the tournament. So um, they came down, we were going to play. I left him alone. I probably just went back to the cart to get something like I don't even remember. And I didn't know he had this conversation until a couple of weeks later, um, but he ended up having a conversation with our athletic director at the school at the time. His name was Dr. Alan White. And I, the following Monday, I came back from class and my roommate was like, some guy called for you about working for him. And I don't really know what's going on, but here's his number. I was like, oh, okay, that seems weird. But, um, and it ended up, but it was an athletic department number. So I knew it was someone like it wasn't a scam in some manner fashion. So I needed to call them back. And it was the sports information director. Um, when I was in high school, I had done, uh, I'd kept a scorebook for our guys basketball team. So my dad had apparently told Dr. White about that and had gone from there. So <laughs> apparently that parlayed into me needing a job in some manner or fashion because I didn't have enough free time. I I don't know. But um, uh, what I ended up doing that year was I pretty much shadowed our sports information department that winter. I made photocopies. I ran stats, um, worked for them a little bit in the office uh, during the winter season, and then went into um, the spring just kind of okay, maybe I want to do this next year, that kind of stuff. But I loved working in the department in the office because as a communications major at Elon, I would, everything I was learning in the classroom, I could directly see in what they were doing on a daily basis. Plus it was still sports and being around a lot of different sports. So I thought that was really cool. But yes, it's totally my dad's fault. Gotta love it. Golf has given you a lot. Your dad has gotten you uh, some into some places, into some mm-hmm. situations. And again, I know, I know, we joke about it. You know, why'd you let him? Why'd you? Why'd you leave him there by himself? Of course, you knew he was going to get into something. But it's obviously given you a lot. It's obviously brought you to where you are, which I think is very important. And kudos to your dad for for talking you up a little bit. I mean, you're his you're his daughter, right? Of course, he wants right. to tell him how great you are at keeping the you know the scorebook in basketball. Right. And as someone who will listen, shout out to Terry Hildebrand for thank you very much. Um, But yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was great. I think, you know, my parents have been incredible role models for me in my career and just in life in general and being able to, you know, every, every parent likes to brag about their kid, but 
he knew he wouldn't have done it if he didn't know I could do it. Mm -hmm. And um, which I think has been incredibly helpful throughout my entire career. I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic, obviously, what uh, what you've been able to get into. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you were able to shadow, uh, as you said, the sports and information department at your school. So that's down in Elon. You were then able to kind of parlay that into a few different jobs at a few different colleges. Uh, UPenn uh, in Philadelphia, the Ivy League school. You then moved on to UConn, which is obviously being from Connecticut. That's kind of cool. And then you went off to Indiana for a little time as well. As I said before, communications and the media side of things. At these three different schools, what were you able to learn and what were you able to gather being in different parts of the country, learning, uh, being in different parts of the business side of college sports? And how were you able to then take advantage of each of these three situations? Well, um, to start, uh, I pretty much got my job at Penn for the most part because I knew how to sat volleyball. Um, when I was at Elon, it was like I said, just the first couple years of division one for every sport. And that was when um, every team was being required to move over to stat crew to do stat volleyball. And for anyone who has ever statted volleyball in stat crew, it is not the easiest thing on the planet. Um, Every touch goes into the computer. So, and I also had never played volleyball past like eighth grade gym class. I did not know all the rules. Um, I had a wonderful mentor. to teach me the game and stat me through games. Um, But at the time it wasn't something that everyone knew how to do. It's hard, it's time consuming. Um, So when I was at Penn, when it's a, was a one year full-time internship in their athletic communications office. And one of the things they were looking for was a volleyball person and to be able to, that knew how to stat volleyball. Um, And I fit that bill and filled in, um, got, it's not the only reason why I got the job, but it was part of the reason. Um, And so moved to Philadelphia. Uh, Thankfully, they provide housing for you. I'd never lived in a city before. Mm -hmm. Um, Grew up in southeastern Connecticut, where we don't really have cities. And then in um, Elon, North Carolina, which is slightly bigger now, but at the time was maybe 5,000 people other than the university. Mm -hmm. So um, that was definitely a unique situation living in a city, um, working on a variety of different sports that I had no experience with at all. Um, I volleyball was my main sport, but like other sports that I had were things like squash and fencing and things that I had no idea about whatsoever. And so learning those being exposed to people from all over the world as an Ivy league school, Penn has people, um, has student athletes from all over the mm-hmm. world. They have, faculty and staff from all over the world, just such a variety of people. And then living in a city like Philadelphia was incredible. Just the history. Let's pump the brakes on incredible there for a second. I mean, you had a blast, right? I had a blast living there. It's great. It's all that matters. Um, My kid, of course, I'm sorry. Um, Loved the job. And um, in that world, there's, you know, a lot of these either graduate assistantships or full-time internships. And, I knew it was only going to be a year, so I wanted to get as much out of it as possible. Um, And a lot of times you either do another one of these, you try to find a full-time job. Um, You know, I applied for full-time jobs. Everyone would do that. Um, But the intern of another full-time 
year-round internship at UConn became available mm -hmm. and I applied and jumped at the chance. Um, growing up in Connecticut, I did not want to go to UConn. That was always a thing for me from just like a school perspective. My brother went to UConn, but so many people that I went to school with were going to go there. So I didn't want to, but um, to be able to work mm -hmm. in that athletic department was an incredible opportunity. Um, again, volleyball was one of my main sports, softball, track and field. Those were my main sports and women's ice hockey. But I was also the second in command for women's basketball the year there that I was there. All and right. there's really nothing better. Absolutely nothing better in Connecticut than basketball, both men's and women's. Um, I was incredibly blessed to be able to work with the women's team the year that I was there, traveled to them a little bit, um, did not make the final four. Yeah, kind of cursed that yeah. way I am. Um, but I was going to say, you, you picked the one year out of like, what, 11 that they haven't been like, it's ridiculous. I, I, yeah, it's kind of insane that um, that was the one year that I was there that they didn't. Um, it was it was one of those things, too, where I was like, oh, well, I'll get to go somewhere really cool for the final four. And that was here. It was in Boston. Uh, uh. And not not I love Boston. It was yeah. always like the city. But I was like, oh, I could go to like Tampa in the middle yeah. of winter or something <laughs> like that. No, we were going to go to Boston. But yep. um. And then, you know, we were also, I worked, um, I did stats and like TV um, assistance for men's basketball as well. Um, our higher ups at UConn were always incredibly inclusive of the interns. There were two of us when I was there. Um, just, you know, if I wasn't working a women's game, I was being on the stat crew with um, for TV for one of the men's broadcasts, or I was doing the time outs for a men's broadcast. So like I was getting that aspect of the broadcast business as well, which was really interesting. Um, and at the time, like for UConn women's basketball, like every game is on TV mm -hmm. um, and everyone knew who they were. Um, it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, but again, like there was a time restraint on that. It was only a year. So um, I took a full-time job at IU after I left there. Uh, moved to Indiana. Uh, it was a different atmosphere. Um, Big Ten is very different than uh, UConn was in the Big East at that point and is obviously now going mm -hmm. back. Um, so that was definitely something that is was different for me. Um, their football was king. Basketball, obviously, at IU is still king, but football, the, the, at UConn, like, we had football, but it wasn't the same as big 10 football. Yeah, yeah. So, and even at the time, like Indiana was not very good when I was there. So, um, but it's still football and mm -hmm. it's kind of a massive Saturday entertainment, which football in the Midwest, of course, yeah. like, oof, nothing and like it's it. funny because people are like, Oh, well you went to college in the South. Like you understand that. I'm like, okay. Elon played one double a football. And until my junior year, they played at a local high school and yeah, it's not like that. Like, Mm -hmm. North Carolina is not the type of football. It's not Alabama football. Mm -hmm. It's not Mississippi football. So um, that was very different for me. Um, and a lot of things, there were things at Indiana that I loved and there were things at Indiana that I didn't love. And I took a really hard look at that and decided after um, just about a year that I did not want to continue to be there. So I ended up leaving, went home, 
had no job. Um, uh-huh. That was pretty terrifying. I had no idea, you know, what was going to happen. Um, I had, I had left, you know, obviously I moved my entire life to Indiana, moved my entire life back to Connecticut um, and had a couple, you know, I had some interviews, I had applied for things, um, but I really was just kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had been home for probably about two and a half, three weeks. And I got a phone call from my old boss at UConn who had mentioned that the Connecticut Sun were looking for a publicist and it wasn't public yet. Um, The girl who was leaving had just told them, but he had worked some game days for the Sun and knew the media relations manager and wanted to know if I would be interested. And I said, I mean, sure. I I didn't, at the time, I wasn't really sure exactly what I was getting into, but Mm -hmm. um, it was 20 minutes from home. It was still basketball. It was, you know, it was a job at Mm -hmm. that point. Um, So I said, sure, like send my, go ahead and you have my resume, like go ahead and send it. And um, a couple hours later, I got a phone call from the then media relations manager with the sun. He said, do you want to come up and have coffee with me? And we ended up talking for um, about 45 minutes to an hour, um, ended up in their office. Uh, One of the, um, the guy who was in charge of, uh, video at the time and I had gone to college together didn't know either one of us was there um so that was kind of funny when he was walking me my old boss was walking me around the office and I was like oh wait John hi so um that was interesting uh I started working there um about two weeks later so I was um I was actually in New York going to a twins Mets game with my mom and got a phone call before the game started saying that I had officially been offered the job. So um, I accepted that. And um, I was there for 13 years, pretty much. That's incredible. And I think Mm -hmm. the, I'm very glad and very grateful that you told that story specifically, because I, again, as I said before, it's not quite a one-to-one, you know, leaving Indiana was your choice. It was, okay, hey, this isn't the right decision for you. You're happy with the opportunity. What happened? It just didn't make sense moving forward. So you move on, you come back home, but you didn't have another opportunity lined up, which I think is a lot of people are in that type of situation now where they don't really know what they're going to do. They don't really know what's going to come next. And I think it's just a testament to you and A, the hard work you put in at all the stops along the way to the point where your boss is willing to reach out to you. But I think it's it's the networking. It's the building relationships. As you said with John, also sitting there, it did not hurt to know, you know, to know somebody else that lived or worked there to allow them to maybe, you know, sway the decision in one way or another. Obviously, you did end up getting the job. So what can you say, you know, before we get into your publicist role and then what you're doing now? at GF, what can you say about networking and relationship building, especially in those first few years that has really helped carry part of your career and allow you to achieve more and more, especially in the media world? That's a great question. And I um, tell anyone who's ever interned with me, these kind of things, I think the biggest thing is building those relationships, but genuinely you know, like anyone can build a superficial relationship, but getting to know people, getting to 
they see you on the work level, but getting to know that you are someone who is dependable is all the things that are that go into everyday life that also translate into work, I think are what's really important to help build those genuine relationships. I know um, so many people who've graduated that are right now that are looking for jobs that no one knows what's going to happen. No one knows what's going on. Um, one of my best friends is currently without a job because of everything that's going on. And he's looking and is searching every day and deserves to have an amazing job. But, you know, there's nothing, unfortunately, that we can control right now. And I think being able to stay positive, but having those genuine relationships and showing that you're willing to do different things and have different skills. Um, everyone can be good at one thing and everyone can be good at two things, but having the ability to be flexible, and I've used this word a lot since um, everything that's happened with COVID-19, being able to pivot and try new things. And now is the time, if you have the time to do it, to learn some of those new skills. There's a lot of like, for example, I am not good at video editing. Like it's not part of my bucket of skills. It's when I was hiring at GF, you know, that was one of the things that I was looking for in a social media co coordinator because I do not have that skill. I can use Photoshop, I can use InDesign, I can use Illustrator. I don't have a video editing skills. So maybe you have some of those, some experience with that. There are do online tutorials. There's free YouTube classes. There's free tutorials with so many programs right now. Build up your body of work so you can show, okay, these are the kind of things that I know how to do. And you can translate into a job. Like I said, part of the reason I got my first job was because I knew how to stop volleyball and not a lot of people knew how to do that. Though so that's a skill that I still can you like everyone uses genius now, but like I did a lot of freelance work when I was with the sun because I knew how to stab volleyball and I knew how to stab basketball and things like that. So to have those kind of skills and just keep them sharp, don't be afraid to try new things. Use, make, build a portfolio if you don't already have one. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out to people. You know, like I, don't mind if someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and just wants to pick my brain. Um, I've worked with a lot of students when I oversaw interns, when I was, um, you know, at UConn, just working in stats with them. Like, just don't be afraid to reach out to people. You may not hear back, um, but you never know who you're going to hear back from. And it can grow into something like that. But again, you need to be genuine about it. You need to, like, if you're going to reach out to someone, if you have a mutual friend or you know someone who knows someone or you have a connection, like you went to the same school or you know some, you know, keep those top of mind as well. But don't just reach out to someone so that you can be like, oh, I'm friends with that person or I know that person. There needs to be that real, genuine connection mm -hmm. because that's what's going to keep those going in the long term.
Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it's very important. You know, you use the word genuine a lot. And I think it's it's great that you did because they have to be real. Like you're not, there's no way you're going to run into everybody on the street and be friends with them. That's not how it works, right? That's not how uh-huh. personalities work. So maybe you reach out to someone and it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense for one party or the other. That's okay. You know, there's a lot of people on planet earth. There's a lot of people that you can become friends with, have those relationships with. And one thing I always like to do is I always want to give before I, if, if I'm even trying to get anything, I'm always trying to give first, always looking to add value in some way, shape or form, give them information, give them an opportunity, do something for somebody else. Maybe down the line, I need something. Maybe it's something where I say, oh, you're connected with this person. Can you introduce me? That's always an opportunity as well. So I think that that part is very important too, is create a genuine relationship. And the easiest way to start that relationship is helping them first, you know, knowing who they are and what they do figuring out a way to say, Hey, I noticed that you do this. Can I introduce you to my friend? You know, here's this article I thought you might find interesting. Here's a free YouTube video on how to edit videos. Look at that. Perfect. And then, you know, you're able to build your portfolio a little bit more and, and continue to move on. So with that in mind, what exactly, so the word publicist is I hear it in the movies all the time. I, I, you know, it's, it's flashy. Everyone's wearing suits and really nice dresses and they're at million dollar parties drinking the nicest tequila and scotch you can think of. What is it like being a publicist for a WNBA team uh, like the Connecticut Sun? Not party glamorous. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, It is. I mean, what you see in the movies is not Exactly. Um, I think it's interesting. So I was there for 13 years, uh, obviously started as a publicist. I did move up a couple times throughout my career. Um, But it's a lot of the same kind of things that you see in the movies. It's a lot of relationship building um, between yourself and the players, between yourself and the coaches, the rest of the front office staff, and then the media. Obviously, like my my whole job was to get us media coverage mm-hmm. along with um, my manager. So working with our players to find out what their stories are, every one of the great things about the WNBA is just the sheer amount of stories that the women have to tell. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are moms, they are entrepreneurs, they are um, they're not just athletes. They are real human people who have incredible stories to tell that have come from such diverse backgrounds and have so many interests outside of basketball. And just to be able to tell those, that was the most, that was the biggest part of my job, but also the most rewarding part of my job was to be able to get to know them as people instead of just athletes. And you see everyone's like, oh, well, this person is so famous. And yeah, you see the most famous people on TV, Mm -hmm. but they're really, they're real people. And they have families just like we do. They have history just like we do. They have interests just like we do. And to be able to tell that was really important. Um, I met some incredible people during my time. Um, Some of my favorite people in the world were athletes that I've worked with. Um, just to be able to tell their stories. There's still a lot of like minutia media relations stuff, mm-hmm. like game notes, press releases, um, stats, all that stuff. Um, but to be able to tell the stories of our athletes is the biggest thing that we do at the WNBA level mm-hmm. and um, at the NLL level as well. And just to be able to um, tell those is the biggest thing. It's not I, there. There is some glamor involved occasionally. Um, get to meet some pretty famous people occasionally, uh, 
we host when I was at Mohegan, um, we hosted four all-star games. So to be involved in those, um, some of our players had charities that would have galas, things like that. Um, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of behind the scenes, time consuming work, mm -hmm. um, but building the relationships with the media and building the relationships with the players is the biggest thing that, yeah. And it, it's not quite, obviously we know the movies, it's not quite what it's like in the movies, but again, I just think it's such a cool opportunity to, you know, you, you got this opportunity and you ran with it. And again, you're there for 13 years. You didn't really know what you were getting into. Mm -hmm. And then you're there for 13 years. And I think it's so cool. And especially in a place like Connecticut, that's a very big basketball, you know, uh, state. There's the word I'm looking for. You know, obviously with, with UConn uh, being there and then, what what was it like specifically? And I know you really don't know too much else until the the uh, the, the Black Wolves came in the National Lacrosse League. What was it like over those thirteen years? How much better did it get for the WNBA? How much more exposure was coming? How much more opportunities did these athletes have and the team have to really start telling that story? Because thirteen years is a very long time, and the WNBA has come a very long way, especially very recently with their redo of the uh, the the. Um, their agreement with the the league and everything and how much the players are getting paid. So what were those 13 years like in terms of how much, I don't want to say easier did your job get, but how much more opportunities came along, especially towards the, the, the latter half? We were incredibly, I mean, like you said, Connecticut's a basketball state. And um, so we were incredibly blessed that we had a core of media that cared about women's basketball. Mm -hmm. um, the team came in in 2003 uh, relocated from Orlando and Mohegan Sun was actually the first independent owner of a WNBA team, which Very was cool. incredible. Um, but there was already built in interest in women's professional sports, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, so we were very blessed that our local media was able to cover. Now, granted, Connecticut's not huge, but there are major out like there's not just one newspaper in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So we had beat writers from at least five newspapers at every single one of our games at most of our practices. Um, we were on local television, uh, not every game, but a lot of games. Uh, the biggest change that I saw was nationally. And a lot of that has didn't have just to do with women's sports. Honestly, that I think the biggest thing that helped it helped, and there's always the detriment to it, um, was the evolution of social media and online publications. Because there's more eyes mm -hmm. on women's sports, um, which I cannot even tell you, you know, having run a team Twitter account and have access to a Twitter account, the sheer amount of, you know, get back in the kitchen, those uh, kind yeah. of comments. Um, but definitely like the evolution of in social media, but also like blogs mm -hmm. and online publications that are exposing a sport like the, a, t a league like the WNBA to even more people. There are some incredible bloggers out there who, you know, if there weren't so many less pub actual like, Mm -hmm. print publications going on right now that would have jobs at those publications. So I think, you know, those people that genuinely love the game and love women's basketball that are being able to elevate, that was the biggest change that I saw was on the national level. Um, 
you know, every market is different. We were, um, inc- like I said, incredibly lucky to have so many already established women's basketball writers and fans with the team. But um, I traveled uh, part-time with the team up until a couple years ago, and then I traveled full-time with the team. So going into the different markets, you got to see the media coverage. And we were always just so lucky that, you know, you look up our press row was usually full Mm -hmm. and that was not the case in every, in every city that we were going to, especially larger cities. You know, Uncasville, Connecticut is not a city. It's not even really a real town, but um, you know, you go to someplace like LA, for example, a couple years ago, and there were maybe like three or four media mm-hmm. people. And it's not the times, you know, it's not like, you know, every, every major paper, every paper in the state of Connecticut had a beat writer for mm-hmm. the sun. So like that, it's that I think is the biggest thing, but you've seen definitely like, I think with obviously ESPN exposure, mm-hmm. the ESPN contract was great for the WNBA. It's continued to get better every single year. Um, online viewing options that the league has social media um just being able to kind of step away from the nba shadow a little bit has been great um not that they are not great parent mm-hmm. partners of the yeah, league they yeah, are yeah. but to be able to kind of step away there's more independent owners and there are nba team owners now um, so i think that's been really good and from a social media perspective it's a lot easier to get out stories and also for players to show their personalities. Players are their own brands and to be able to showcase that brand in a positive way that they can direct directly interact with fans too. They don't have to, I don't have to be the min, the middleman between mm-hmm. a lot of these players. Um, sometimes it can backfire and that's always something that you, we tell all of our athletes, you know, careful what you're putting online Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think that's definitely helped and has just given players more opportunity to amplify themselves and that translates into more of this like i can you know no matter how many times you can pitch a story and you can pitch it the same story to all these different people but then they can also see it from an athlete's perspective and they can Mm -hmm. see those things on the athlete's instagram and oh that's right that's you know we definitely want to cover that story so yeah and i think you know as social media you were talking about a little bit about it before twitter is the the worst and the best place all at the same time it is just a horrible horrible place with terrible people and it's incredible with some of the nicest people that you'll ever find maybe they don't even exist either i don't know it's very confusing though and it's it's definitely with the advent of social media and especially kind of social media 2.0 and 2.0 and 3.0 and kind of what we are at now, just the opportunity for these athletes, as you said, you know, when you got there, that was the coolest part. Like all these athletes have these incredible stories, their mothers, their wives, their, you know, entrepreneurs, they have businesses, they're doing all these great charity things. You know, they're, they're traveling, you know, many I've heard at least, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong. Many of these female athletes in the WNBA then go overseas to play because that's Mm -hmm. where, they can actually make some real money for what they do and, and their skills. You know, here, obviously, uh, as I said, again, they, they've renegotiated the contract, which is great, the Players Association and the league. But still, you know, the opportunities really do come overseas. Uh, so it's just these opportunities for the athletes to get those out there. And that's 
I mean, that's why I do what I do here. You know, I, everybody has a story. All you have to do is ask them some questions and you'll get some really good information out of them. And it's definitely, you know, the opportunity for the athletes to do that, I think is great. And as you said, maybe you don't have to be the middleman the whole time, kind of makes your job a little bit easier too. And uh, you, you brought it up before, you know, running the team Twitter account and having to read a lot of those terrible, terrible things. I mean, how is, I, I don't want to paint, uh, you know, with a broad brush at mm-hmm. all. But what is it like being a woman in sports, specifically a woman in sports as yourself, you know, working in the industry for a a league of for women, right? Like that's just kind of that extra layer on top right. now. And it's just like, yeah. geez, okay. All right, guys, we get it. What was that like for you? And, and I, I don't want to say dealing with, but I guess kind of navigating the space of just terrible, terrible people, but also understanding that you're doing some really incredible things for little girls out there and, and little boys that want to grow up to be like these athletes. It's interesting because I always have a love hate relationship with that question. And yeah. because I, I am, I am incredibly lucky that I've never personally experienced a ton of pushback mm-hmm. from being a woman in this industry. Um, I think a lot of that comes from, like my mental look at it, a lot of it comes from the fact that I was always the only girl like playing golf. Like I talked Mm -hmm. about golf in high school. Like I was the only one. So I kind of considered it a kind of solitary thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But even like I had great um, female, like my very first boss at Penn was the head of the department was a woman. Like, so my first, like, I never really experienced that, like, oh, I'm the only female in this place. Like, it was very much a inclusive environment. Um, at UConn, obviously, even though most of my bosses were men, it was, I mean, women's sports is mm-hmm. king there yeah. for the most part. So um, it was very inclusive. I never really felt like I was being stereotyped. There's probably things that I if I look back on it really hard, Mm -hmm. I could be like, Oh yeah, that's probably why this happened or that's why this happened. Um, Like I, I mean, there's one, like I know that I didn't get a job because someone had been hired as a coach and they needed a job for his significant other. Like, but that didn't have anything to do with me as a woman. It just Mm -hmm. happened to be that I was not the significant other of a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, like that's just what happens Um, because the person who got the job was a woman. So it wasn't like that they weren't Mm -hmm. hiring a woman for that job. Um, But it was definitely like working with all women was interesting. Um, Our coach, when I started, was a man, um, Mike Tebow, who is now the head coach in Washington, incredible human being. His whole family is absolutely incredible. Um, But they, you know, it was almost felt, and this was totally from both leadership on the business side, but then also on the basketball side, as a family, we were never like, no one was us against the world, like this side versus that side. It was a whole, it was very inclusive. So I never really felt personally like it was super, super hard. And I was mm-hmm. being prejudiced against and things like that. Um, that made me be, be like life through rose colored glasses. You know, like I, I just didn't, I, I personally um, have never really felt discriminated against. There are mm-hmm. always times like, you know, working in the WNBA, especially 13 years ago when everyone's like, oh, well, 
like there there were aspirations made against you know my sexual orientation by some people that didn't had no idea who I was you know that kind of stuff just because mm-hmm. everyone just assumed that mm-hmm. everyone who worked in the league and you know played in the league was not straight you know mm-hmm. they just assume that like yeah. but that's but that's where the stereotyping comes in and that's where the um like that's where social media is terrible mm-hmm. those are the, those are the horrible people on social media that like just automatically lump every single person into a bucket. Um, The biggest thing, like from a social media perspective that I would always get so upset about was the people that don't consider women real athletes. And God forbid that a woman could beat a man at something Mm -hmm. and be better. And like, you have to look at it from, and I think I always would get so upset about it because I heard that when I was in high school, like you can't, like you can't win, like you're small and you're a girl and you can't do that. So I think like they are world-class athletes and the best at what they do. Yes. NBA players are different, like male versus female physicality, like size, everything like that's, like you can't compare mm-hmm. LeBron James to Elena Deladon. I mean, you can. They're both incredible basketball players, but they're both also completely different physical beings. Mm-hmm. I bet yeah. Elena Deladon could shoot better than LeBron too. I think to be honest. Probably could. Um, but um, you know, I think one of the great things that we've seen, especially over the last four to five years, is just so many of the male athletes talking about the female athletes and how impressed they are. And if you're so insecure in your, in who you are as a person that you have to attack other people for something that they're really good at because you can't do that, then, you know, I'm sorry for the way that you live your life. But I think that's the biggest thing is like, if there's someone who idolizes LeBron James and LeBron James says that like LeBron James loves the WNBA, he loves women's basketball. And if he is loving this and you love LeBron, okay, just take a look, Mm -hmm. try it, see what it's like, watch a game. Most of the people that would make these comments have never seen a game. They've never, they just don't think, that women can do something like that because they just watch the NBA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I love basketball. I will watch basketball most three times out of four when it's on, but like, so what if women can't dunk? There are a lot of women in the league that can dunk. Mm -hmm. They just don't do it in a game, but it's because it's not what the game is at the mm-hmm. WNBA level like it is at the NBA level. Yeah, it's it's pretty much just ignorance. Let, let's be honest about that. It's you know I always watch the women's um, final four. I always watch the tournament because it's it's the best athletes playing each other. Like right, like that's all I want to see. I just want to see good athletes. I will watch random sports. Don't doesn't count. It matter if it's male or female. If it's the best athletes going against the best athletes and the thing, as you said, that they're really good at, I want to watch that. That's competition at its greatest. And, you know, I always watch the Final Four and UConn just the last couple of years, especially 
those daggers at the end. Oh my goodness. Those buzzer beaters have just been, it's been ridiculous, but I mean, it's just, I think it comes down to ignorance and, you know, you bring up LeBron, obviously the late great Kobe Bryant as well. He would always go to the uh, WNBA games. He'd have his daughter there with him, you know, teaching him, teaching her about what's really going on and how the sport works, which I think is important. But aside from the negative aspects, I definitely want to talk about the positive too. Like how much of just understanding and knowing that there's, again, so many little girls and boys around the, around the world that look up to these athletes and see themselves within these athletes and give, you know, that's extra opportunity with the advent of social media. Again, the positive side of it, how cool was that to see, you know, these little kids coming out to the games and meeting the athletes and just that opportunity to, to shake hands and get a basketball sign and everything along those lines and see how, how happy they are after and what they're talking about online with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have two good stories for that. Um, The first one is, it's not really a story, but it's just more of like a blanket statement is one of the great things about every player that we ever had with the sun is they understood that. And this is, goes across the WNBA just in general mm-hmm. in women's college basketball. They understand their role in how they're growing the game. And they understand that our fans are the people who are going to be the next generation, especially mm-hmm. the generation that's coming through college right now that had the WNBA when they were little. Um, When I first started, the older players didn't have that experience. They didn't have that person to look up to. And they're always the ones like, want to take pictures post game. They want to sign autographs. They were always telling me, what can I do more? What can I do more? I want to do this. I want to see these kids. I want to go to these camps. I want to do that kind of stuff. Um, Because they understand what it's like to be looking for those role models. there was a story um, about a, a year, two years ago, um, two years ago, uh, a girl got a got WNBA tickets for her birthday. It went a little viral on um, social media and um, her name's Caroline. She is from Maine and she had gotten tickets to see this uh, Seattle Storm play at the Sun. And once we found out that she was coming to see the Sun, we were like, OK, we've got to roll out like this is amazing. We're going to roll out the red carpet for her. And honestly, that day was one of the most rewarding things that I did in my career. Like just watching her and her entire family, the way she reacted to seeing the players, to meeting the players. And we had told the players had all seen her story. Like we had told them Mm -hmm. she and her family were coming, but just to have her there and be at warmups and being able to interact with our players like that's something that she's going to carry throughout her entire life. And she may or may not end up playing in the WNBA, but just the fact that she had that experience and we were able to provide that experience for her was absolutely incredible. That is it's, I mean, one fan at a time, right? It's kind of a cliche, Mm -hmm. but it's really, it's true. Like if you can get one fan to fall in love with your product and what you do and this little girl specifically, and what she was then, now she's going to tell all of her friends, right? Her next birthday party, they're all going to want to go. And it's just those those opportunities to encompass other people and get them involved in the thing that you love the most, I think is very important. Um, and, you know, kudos to you guys there for for seeing that and taking advantage of it because uh, there's, you know, like uh, a sport that I love so much, baseball, and you love, they wouldn't do something like that because they're too silly, in my opinion. They're just always behind on the times. And I think it's great that you're able to take advantage of what you were doing there and just a little bit more uh, on what you did uh, with Mohegan. Obviously, as we talked about with 
they added a expansion lacrosse team while you were there. You became the publicist for them as well, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you have the media context, right? What's right. an entire other job on top of it? Um, what was it like getting to see this franchise pretty much, you know, you joined the Sun a couple years after they moved. So there was mm-hmm. a little bit of establishment, as you said, women's and ba- women's basketball, but basketball in general is huge already in the state of Connecticut. What was it like having a sport in the National Lacrosse League relatively small coming into the state and now kind of, I mean, not teaching people how the sport is played, but what was it like kind of being able to help build up a franchise from the ground? It was really cool. Um, So we, uh, the team had been in Philadelphia and the Mohegan tribe purchased half of the team uh, with another small ownership group that was still in Philadelphia and relocated them to Mohegan sun to play. So, it was very much a whirlwind. They bought the team in August, started all the branding, everything. We got a name in September and then started playing on December 28th. Wow. So it was pretty incredible. Um, the great thing is, is we had a staff in place that all knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We, um, it was just, like you said, it's just a different sport. It's the same. We had to sell tickets. We had to market. Mm-hmm. We had to do media relations. We had to do all that kind of stuff. So we already had the staff in place to make it work. Um, a lot of it was education. Box lacrosse and outdoor lacrosse are very two very different animals. So learning what those differences are, how to bring them to the fans. Uh, it's a very high-paced, fun atmosphere. Um, you know, you can play music the whole game, which for a lot of people is sacrilegious in sports. I mean, you can in the WNBA, but really not. But, um, you know, that's, that was definitely something, um, just, but being able to be there from the beginning and launch the brands, launch the, the roster, the, mm-hmm. um, the logo, the everything, like every, anything that went into that and those launches, like that was really cool. And to be able to, again, share stories of athletes who are different, like in the national lacrosse league it's not a full-time athletic gig for a lot of these guys. So they have other jobs. So to see what they are doing to be able to share those stories, they have jobs all over the country, all over Canada, different types of jobs. So to be able to showcase that and who they are as people was really interesting. The nice thing was that it was slightly opposite seasons. So WNBA season is in the summer National Lacrosse League is in the winter for the most part. There's usually that like April overlap, Mm -hmm. which was a little stressful. But, um, you know, that meant that lacrosse was in the playoffs as the sun were getting ready. So um, that was always a good thing to have more overlap that way. But um, it was really it was a really cool experience to be able to be there and build from the ground up. That is, it's always fun, especially to be on the ground floor of something. You were, you were with them for a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, about two and a half, I think I've written down before you were able to go and help build something else, which is what you're doing now with GF Sports. Um, a lot of live media, sports media, like what live events, I apologize, and sports media, what exactly do you do at GF Sports uh, so that everybody out there can learn a little bit more about you guys? Sure. So um, I started at GF in September. So um, GF Sports is um, the parent company for a number of 
properties. So we own the New York Riptide, which is expansion NLL franchise. So I get to do the ground floor stuff all over again. Familiar, yeah. One of the um, main reasons why mm -hmm. I, the opportunity intrigued me. Um, GF also owns a uh, controlling stake in the New York Open Tennis, which is an ATP tour event in February at, NASA, at um, NYCB Live here in Long Island. And then also with the Truist Atlanta Open, which is another ATP tour event in Atlanta in the summer. Uh, have variety of other properties, um, Wolfpack Ninjas, which is an American Ninja Warrior type um, event. Mm -hmm. And then also just announced a few months ago that we added a um, partnership with the American Kennel Club. So we are going to be working in conjunction with them to bring the Meet the Breeds event national. It's typically um, every year in New York at the Javits Center. So we'll be kind of taking Meet the Breeds on the road with the American Kennel Club. Very cool. Yeah, we I, I had the American Kennel Club written down too, because we got to talk about the dogs a little bit. But what was at you know, at, at Mohegan with the sun, with the black wolves, what was the reason it, 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 I'm assuming it was less of wanting to leave and more of a new opportunity. It, it does that, is yeah. that kind of a good assumption to make? And I guess what, what wants you, what brought you all the way down here to New York? I mean, that's a little different, right? Yeah. Um, it was definitely, you know, I'd been at Mohegan for a long time and when you've been somewhere for a really long time, there's only so many places you can go upwards and mm -hmm. have new challenges and you know i not that i was stagnant in the role by any means but just i, I was looking for a, a slightly new challenge and mm -hmm. this opportunity came up originally um for with gf for on the lacrosse side and to be able to kind of build a franchise from the ground up but then also again um, but also to have the different experiences with the other properties. Mm -hmm. I am not, I don't know a ton about tennis. I've learned a lot in the last eight months about tennis. Um, and we have great people on the tennis side that have been incredible to work with, but, um, just to have different things to do. Um, and I knew when I first started talking to the people from GF that, there were other things that were going to be happening um, that we were all going to be involved in. And now we have the American Kennel Club there, you know, obviously in, until all of this happened, there were other things that we had been talking about. So uh, there will be other things moving down the road with GF. So to be able to be kind of in on the ground floor of a smaller company that's doing bigger things, I mm. thought was going to be really cool and a really yeah. interesting opportunity. It's definitely, it's definitely very cool. I mean, just the opportunity, you had the cheat sheet for lacrosse already. So that one, you can kind of put that in your back pocket. Which is the <laughs> uh, but it, it was different. Like, and you, sorry to interrupt no. what you said about moving to New York. Like that was, that was part of the challenge is a different, completely different market and mm -hmm. learning a new market and seeing there were things that we did on the lacrosse side in Connecticut that just, you know, wouldn't work here mm -hmm. based on the, um, just the yeah. sports market here, mm -hmm. you know, like there are so many different sports and so many different just leagues and teams in this general area that learning those kind of things has been part of the challenge. 
Yeah, it's learning the new sports, it's learning the new market, it's learning, mm-hmm. you know, about the new company, about the place you'd live. But it's also, you know, at the your at your your old position, you knew all the papers, you knew all the people that worked at the mm-hmm. papers, and you probably knew their mothers, brothers, daughters, and sons, right? So what how how has that been as well, especially now kind of, you know, for two of the eight months that you've been there being kind of stuck inside only being able to make phone calls, which, hey, maybe that's a good thing. But how has it been to kind of build a new portfolio of media members and and people at these newspapers and these online publications as well to really get the message out there and and to get people to understand all these things that you're doing in the area? It's been a bit of a, I mean, it's been a challenge. Um, We have, um, I'm very lucky that we have I have help on our media relations side with people who have established relationships in the area, which has been great for us. Um, It's just a lot of it is still brand building Mm -hmm. and building who we are as a franchise to show that we're established in the marketplace and getting that out there. Um, this is an incredibly hard market to break into. So we've really focused, especially um, during the season on building who we are as a brand and then seeding that into the media. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, you know, there are media people who are obviously very experienced in lacrosse in this area, just not the indoor game. There were two teams here in New York beforehand that um, unfortunately folded. So that's one of the things that we've had to combat a little bit is, okay, well, those teams folded. Are you guys still going to stay? That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been a bit of a challenge. It's still an ongoing challenge. I think next year as we get into a full season and have a full a real full off season mm-hmm. to continue to build those relationships. That's going to be the biggest thing because we really didn't. I started in September. We just had consultants before then. Um, and then we started play in December. So it was really just a lot of, for me, getting used to the market, getting used to our team and just figuring out what we were going to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly, from a marketing and a PR perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what, what have you been able to do? And and, and you, you brought up pivoting all earlier in the conversation. I think that's a great time to bring this back up is what have you been able to do while in quarantine, while in this two month, essentially, uh, I don't want to call it a break, but, you know, a, a time stoppage in terms of, you know, no sports are being played for the first, you know, 60 days. I mean, it's usually two days a year, the day before and after the MLB All-Star game. Now it's 60 straight here. What what have you been able to do and how have you been able to adapt and pivot in this situation that we're currently in? It's, it's definitely been weird. Um, we ended up having our last three home games canceled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a first year franchise, that's kind of uh, not great. No, no. Um, but I'm very lucky in that our leadership team has been open to any idea that we want to do. Um, We've tried to, I kind of look at it right now as we're in, no matter what, we would have been in off season right now because our season would have ended Mm -hmm. at the end of April. But I almost feel like we're in end of June, beginning of July, off season timing, just based on how much time we've had right now. Mm -hmm. And we were able to do things like our guys are great. They are always, um, open to anything we want to try, anything we want to do. Um, 
sometimes they laugh when I email or text them things, but I'm like, guys, it's important. Like there's the reason why I'm asking you to do mm -hmm. this. Um, but we started a podcast for the team. We uh, launched a TikTok channel that has been steadily gaining traction. Um, we've tried to focus really on a lot of stuff with our mascot. He has a Twitter and Instagram. He's the main star of our TikTok right now. Um, he's pretty funny. Um, but, you know, we, we launched a online video series called Tide Talks. Um, we have one last week. We have another one. I'm sorry. Last month, we have one next week. Um, just kind of people in the sports business, you know, learning. Um, we did a live zoom video workout with our strength and conditioning coach we do um a lot of stuff with our sponsors we're trying to keep our sponsors as engaged as possible mm -hmm. so but in a different way like normally they would have a in-game segment they would have a social media segment because of something that happened in in game well no we just have to kind of switch things up so like our medical partner we do a thing called the medical minute where they We've done Skype interviews um, to talk about different medical issues that they mm -hmm. can combat and how to best like things that they've dealt with on the orthopedic side, how people can combat injuries, things like that. Um, trying a lot of new ideas. This is for us the time to experiment. And but we don't want to oversaturate what we're doing because we don't want to lose what we're trying to do as the core mm -hmm. of our brand. So that's why like everything that we've launched has been very strategic and we put like we're not just going to throw stuff at the wall and hope it sticks like we're trying really hard to bring in these things that okay we probably i probably would have waited a year mm -hmm. to launch a podcast um but i was talking to our um danny wexelman who's our uh, field reporter on msg and on bleacher report and she was like have you ever thought about doing a podcast and i was like well we had one in connecticut with sun like i don't know um but right now is the perfect time to launch something like that because we all have the time to mm -hmm. start building that and we can build that brand um, and get those stories out there and something like TikTok that we probably with the last month of the season wouldn't have had time to build has been able to do that. And obviously it's very, very popular right now, but it is something that I was originally not sold on from the beginning, as my boss will tell you multiple times that mm -hmm. I was not sold and neither was our um, social media coordinator, but we decided to just go for it. And it's worked. It's, I mean, I think our social media coordinator has more fun with it than any of the rest of us. Uh -huh. uh, but um, it's, it's knowing those things and trying those things and being able to put them out there um, while still trying, staying true to our brand. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing is yeah. making sure we're staying true to who we are as a brand. And I think it's really important, as you said, that with, with everything kind of happening, look at it from a positive lens of we wouldn't have been able to do any of this if mm -hmm. you know we had those last few home games potentially went to the playoffs i don't know what your record was if you guys were gonna no okay um maybe have gone to the playoffs if any if all the things worked out and all the stars aligned, maybe but um you know and so it's it's an opportunity you know i think if people can look at this from an opportunity perspective obviously there's a lot of crappy things going on and you know if you can't you don't have the time hey i'm not here to judge that but there's just so much that you can do with the extra time that we're given, essentially, that 
you, know, you can build that TikTok page. I am not going to build a TikTok page. I will be very honest with you on that. But I, you know, I think one of the first um, articles I read about TikTok was uh, Benny the Bull, the Chicago Bulls mascot, and what he was able to do. And he pretty much built a t- they they built a TikTok page around this mascot. And you know, so I think it's a great idea in taking that route and just being able to build audiences wherever the audiences are, right? You're in marketing, you're in PR, wherever the eyeballs are, that's where we're going to go. And then marketers are going to ruin that platform in some way, shape or form, because we always do. And then you move on to the next one. But, you know, I think it's really important, again, just to get those stories out there, get those opportunities out there, engaging the sponsors, as you said, because they are the ones that give you money, right? So if you can give them something, but as you said, without saturating it and really staying true to the brand, which I think is very important too. So, um, Jen, this has been awesome. We didn't even talk. So tell me like one thing about the kennel club, because what are you going to do with dogs? What dog gets its own TikTok page? That's the, that's the real answer here, right? I I don't, I don't think we're actually going to be able to give one specific dog a TikTok page. Um, I am still, we're still learning about what's going on with the kennel club. Um, I did have the opportunity. They brought, um, five local dogs who have participated in who participated in meet the breeds this year mm-hmm. to the New York open to do a promotional thing with us for the pickleball tournament that we held at the open Whoa. this year. Um, it was absolutely incredible to have these different dogs. It was so funny though, because I've never met a dog that wouldn't play fetch and like not yeah. one of these dogs were playing <laughs> fetch. And it was so funny because all the owners are like, if we were home, they would play fetch. I was like, but, but in like, but in my head, I'm sitting mm-hmm. there like, I've got a video person. I've got a photographer. I've got all this uh-huh. stuff. These dogs are not doing what we wanted them to do. And I'm like, okay, you have to remember they are animals. They are not mm-hmm. like trick dogs. They mm-hmm. are purebred, amazing dogs. And there's a lot of things going on and there's a lot of noise. There's a lot mm-hmm. of distractions. I'm like, okay, they're not going to play fetch. Cool what can we do? Like, will they at least look cute with the stuff? Uh-huh. Like that, that was really my thing. I'm like, okay. So if they're not going to play fetch, cause we tried for like 20 minutes and not one dog wanted to play fetch. One just kept running away, which was yeah. the worst part. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose this like $4,000 uh, dog. Like I can't oh no. do that. Like this is not allowed. Um, but, um, that was, uh, we ended up with some really good like little video snippets, Mm -hmm. photos, things like that, that we were able to use. But um, that's definitely something that I think all of us in our office are really excited about is we're a dog office. So um, we are all very excited about the opportunity to just meet different kinds of dogs and go to these different events um, and see how they work. I unfortunately did not get to go to the one at the Javits center. So I missed out on that, but um, hopefully Will everything in the world will figure itself out mm-hmm. at some point? We'll be able to continue to take Meet the Breeds on the road. I love it. And if you need a, uh, a podcast host in any way, shape, or form, I promise you, I would love to do anything with the dogs. I'll interview the dogs. How about that? The dogs and I'll oh, have a great. great. I won't be as good as this conversation, but you now, hey, if I can get them to do anything, uh, and I guess it's a testament to how well how well trained they are. If they're not willing to play fetch with tennis balls and pickle balls and everything running around. Good for them. I think that's more impressive than anything, but Jen, this was absolutely incredible. Jen Hildebrand, director of marketing at GF sports division one golfer, UConn, UPenn, Indiana publicist for the, UK, uh, the Connecticut sun. I keep doing that. Sorry. It's the Connecticut, okay. not the UConn sun um, and the black wolves lacrosse team. Thank you so much for your time today, Jen. Thank you for having me.
Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Jen. As I said, just super, super cool. She's done so much, and I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to chat with her and, and learn about her story and what she's done and how she's done it. So make sure to go follow her on all of her socials. Everything's in the show notes, as you know. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review if you can on Apple or iTunes. Those are the two most important. Unfortunately, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube. You know, just click all the buttons everywhere. That's the important thing. That's what helps us out the most. And Thank you for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. I really do appreciate some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yeah.